Welcome to the evolution of parenting. I'm Yorona, an advanced certified life coach, certified speaker coach, international speaker, and more. But most importantly for me, I'm a parent. With 17 years in the fields and studies of early childhood development, psychology, and coaching, I've come to the realization that the role of parenting never stops, but it does change. In fact, it has to change. In season one, we explored some foundational themes of parenting. For season two, we'll be exploring various topics with special guests who can delve into these subjects from an expert perspective. From there, we'll dive into understanding the impact around the choices we make as parents regarding these particular issues and what we're enabling or disabling in our children. I hope to tie in some of the foundational themes from season one to highlight a few ways that parents can find more proactive approaches to their parenting styles. Remember, parents are creating a part of the future world, and it's time to think about the legacy we're leaving behind and the ripple effects it will have. So let's dive in with our guest for today's episode. Welcome, Sheila Carroll. Please, if you wouldn't mind, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, my name is Sheila Carroll. I am a board-certified pediatrician. I've been a, a doctor for about 23 years. I'm also certified in obesity medicine. Um, I'm a life and weight coach certified as well. And like you said, importantly to me, I'm also a parent. I'm a mom. I have a 12-year-old son named Theo. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, you know, in case people couldn't figure it out, today's topic is going to be centered around Sheila's expertise, which is in the medical and health field model, the, the broader scope of health. And what I like to think of as, you know, when we think of the traditional aspect of medical and healthcare decisions, we often think about our physical health first. And very secondary to that comes our mental and emotional health and well-being. And unfortunately, it often follows behind in a delayed manner that sometimes people have a hard time accepting and also integrating together with how they make their own health care choices. And so I'd love to hear from you, especially as a pediatrician, what are some of the ways that you have seen and been con most concerned with when it comes to parents and their approach to their child's well-being and health? Well, well, one thing I was going to say, I wanted to add to, on to your point. We, yes, there's our physical health and our mental health and our emotional health. And even in, as a medical student, as a, a person going through medical school, we kind of approach those separately. Um, but now, 23, 25 years later, I believe more and more strongly they are all connected. We can't have one aspect of health. It, you can't be physically healthy if you're mentally unhealthy. You can't have really good mental health if your physical health is not, you know, doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be somewhere, you know. So they're super tied into each other. Um, and even... and. And, and we know like, with our, how our lifestyle, so bringing this to parents, so what can parents do to help their kids? 
so much parents are in control of. I, I sometimes see parents, or I used to see in my office, parents coming in feeling very out of control of what was, they just didn't, didn't, they didn't understand all of the things that they actually fully had control over over their kids' health. And it's uh, it's some of the really boring stuff that's, you know, it's kind of like, oh, healthy lifestyle. But that by far and away is the is the thing parents can control of even of teenagers. In a teenager, what I really mean is parents can foster that child's autonomy so they're making healthy choices. And if you are a parent of a younger child, you can start setting the stage for that now. But we're talking nutrition, so food choices are critical for health. Um, sleep, you cannot be a healthy person mentally, emotionally, and physically if you are sleep deprived. I can vouch for that. As a physician who worked shift work for 20 years, never getting enough sleep, it is, it's really harmful. Um, so nutrition, sleep, movement or exercise, mm -hmm. and then emotional regulation skills, or sometimes in adults, we call it stress management. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is learning how to recognize, feel, and accept your feelings mm -hmm. in, a, in a way that is helpful for you and not harmful for you. Yes. Oh, I so. love that. That's much more of a proactive approach. And it's so interesting because I do hear parents saying things like, I can't get my child to stop eating junk food. I can't get them to, you know, and, and everything I do is centered around threatening them. Well, if you don't eat, and this is my favorite one, if you don't eat your broccoli, you can't have dessert or just finish this and then you can have your dessert. What I think people don't understand psychologically speaking is that it sets our children up to believe that the dessert is the desired food. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, they're going to fight you every step of the way. But if you make the desired food also the healthiest food choices, if you make the healthiest food choices, vice versa, the desired food choices, then you're not going to have to be begging your children or threatening them or bribing them to finish their healthier food. So, for instance, with my son, I've always made food fun. And I think it's one of the most important things. Like I've always looked for ways to find making food fun and not a pressurized situation. Uh, and I've, what I've seen is I've, as I've seen his personality emerging, I've also seen the kind of eater he is. He's not a stuff your face eater. Um, he's a grazer for sure. Like I, I've tr we've tried. We'll get him, he'll eat half of his meal and then he'll come back later for it. And what's so funny is my sister was like this as a kid. And mm -hmm. my parents used to call her bird eating. She'd take little tiny bits and then she'd run away. And then she'd go do something. And then she'd come back. And, you know, I, I had to learn, okay, so he he likes to have five smaller meals or six smaller meals throughout the day, six smaller bits of stuff. So what are we giving him during those times, you know? And then one of the things I also noticed, like I said, is I paired it with fun things. So Broccoli wasn't just broccoli to get it over and done with. Broccoli was broccoli trees. And he was the giant walking through the broccoli trees and picking them up to eat the trees, you know, and being, and, you know, just making it funny and fun and exploratory without the pressure of you've got to do this to get this. Because the end goal, this, always becomes the optimal thing. 
And so it's like, well, then, you know, you've got to finish your ice cream to get to your, well, okay, no, that doesn't work because it's the, because of the quality of the food, right? The sugar is more addictive. So we know that um, from a medical side of it. So how do we get it more mentally, a more, a better mental health capacity around the idea of the healthier food choices? So I'd love your take on that. How do you, you know, how do you encourage parents when it comes to things like that? So I think you said it earlier, sometimes parents would come to me and say, how do I get my child to, you know, and it's everything from eat the vegetables, um, go to bed on time, stop vaping or whatever, whatever problem. And the parents want to know, how do I get my kid to blank? So my reframe to the parents, which I feel parents have a lot of influence over is, a better question is, how do I help my child want to eat better? How do I help my child want to stop vaping, want to go to bed on time? And so what we're talking about there, obviously, is fostering their autonomy and tying, because eventually they are going to be on their own. Kids are going to be leaving us, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and hopefully never like leaving, leaving us, but, you know, like living on their own, going to college, you know, or even high school. My son's 12 now. He goes to friends' houses. He's riding his bike around town. He's making his own choices. So I'm not there and I don't want to be micromanaging him. I don't mm-hmm. want to be the food police. I want him to understand his physical body, his mental health, his emotional health, so that he's making choices that are good for him. And that he realizes, oh, you know, I feel really good when I eat this, or I don't feel that great when I eat this, or I feel better when I go to bed on time kind of thing. So, and that's, that's not a quick fix for parents. um, But it's totally worth work worth doing. And this is work parents can do to help their kids. Yes. And And I I would love, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say what you're doing, what you're doing is um, taking pressure with your son, taking pressure away from the dinner table or any table. And, you know, that is a recommendation for sure. We want to make eating a, uh, we want to raise healthy eaters we want to raise kids with a healthy relationship to food and forcing them to eat something, you know, just to get what they really want, the dessert. Like that's, that's never been shown to be helpful. No, so, it's, yeah, it's quite suboptimal motivation, right? Yeah. yeah. That's called, that's, that's the extrinsic pressurized suboptimal motivation. And it's really unhealthy because it's not sustainable. So I want to delve into you know, what I find to be the case is when we look at it from a, when we look at the word discipline, so many people have characterized discipline to be punishment, right? When the truth is, if you really look at the word discipline, what we're talking about is creating an environment where your child can learn sustainable internalized discipline. But you're there not to pressure them into it, but rather to influence them. And that is the strategic difference there, right? Because they're autonomous and they have the opportunity and they should have the opportunity to make choices. 
What I've seen is the is a lot of the times parents with the threats, with the punishment, right, understand that those only get bigger over time. Same with the rewards or the bribe systems. They only get bigger over time, right? Okay, so if your toddler, in order to get your toddler to eat, you had to give them a car, right, a little toy car, when they get older, it's going to be a device, it's going to be a car, it's going to be a this, it's going to be a that, and this this comes a long way. Um, but, you know, to round it back to those health decisions, helping them establish internalized discipline helps them make those decisions for themselves in a place where they are solely responsible for the consequences of those choices when it comes to their health. And especially when it comes to their nutrition choices. Because what we've seen is who's taking accountability for those consequences is really important to establishing a healthier boundaries for when they grow when they grow up and they go off to school, right? And if we're establishing them early enough so that they understand the implications of the consequences that they're facing, right? It's something we can do in small measurements when they're young. So for instance, one of the things that we talked to my son about when he was younger, you know, he's just six now. So, but when we, when we even said it when he was younger, we talked about how important certain foods are that will give you more energy and more strength and get you better sleep and all of these wonderful things, which will make you feel so good that you'll be able to have the ability to go through your whole day and be happy about going through your whole day instead of miserable. And getting him to understand that from a very base level was important. And I don't know if I both got lucky because he's naturally inclined to want to eat his vegetables and fruits, or if it was a combination thereof. It's very hard to say because sometimes it's hindsight. Sometimes we see where they're inclined, but also environmental influence is really important. So in making the optimal environment, we gave him the optimal opportunity to choose good things. And what I find really interesting is because of his tendency to eat some of it and then to come back and eat more, and it doesn't mean it has to be, it, it could be literally the same food on his plate every single night, Some and and he'll still do this. He'll eat some of it, he'll take a break, and then he'll come back, <laughs> you know? And it's that's... He's in in tune with his body, and he's really in tune in tune with his hunger and his fullness signals. Yes, which you know is weirdly lots of as kids age, we tend to lose that. You know, lots of kids will eat you know some amount of something, and then they'll stop eating that. If they're, if they realize their body is, if they realize in their body, they're full. Most, most of us adults, we just eat it because it's on our plate. And, uh, you know, part of us, some of us have been trained, you know, the clean plate club back in the day. Um, so that's yeah. an, something else I don't recommend that parents clean right. your plate, clean. The, we want what your son has. That's a really lifelong, well, hopefully lifelong, but it's a great yeah. skill for health. Yeah. Because he's stopping at enough. He's yeah. stopping when his body has had enough. And that is so, I had to learn how to do that as an adult. Oh, because God, I yeah. became significantly overweight, um, carrying way more weight than I wanted to, or that was really appropriate for someone my height. 
but it was because I was eating, well, I was emotionally eating. So I was eating for a lot of reasons that mm -hmm. weren't for my, weren't for physical hunger. Right. Um, but I also wasn't in tune with my hunger and uh, with my body and with my, it, with physical hunger. So I had to get back to that. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of parents, if you watch your child eat, you know, you might you, you just observe observe your child eating and then try to figure out where their hunger is and you can talk about hunger with your child. Yes. Um, so here's something I think that parents should know yes. that's so important in our modern world and in our modern food culture. The highly processed foods, the ultra processed foods, the uh, cookies, crackers, uh, everything, pretty much everything packaged. I hate to say that granola bars, fruit yogurts, all of these foods with a lot of added sugars, highly processed foods, emulsifiers, uh, chemicals, dyes, additives, you know, all of the things they impact a human body's ability to tell its hunger signals. So they've done tons of studies on this people eating processed foods yeah. eat more food than yeah. than people not eating processed foods yeah. and that is because these foods were designed to keep you eating them not mm -hmm. in a nefarious way like oh we want to make this person sick but they just want more money so the more you eat of the food the more you're going to buy the more you know so yeah. This is a tricky, this is a tricky thing when we say to our, when I say to parents or we say to parents, we want your child to, we don't want calorie counting. We don't want diets. We don't want any kind of like restriction in right. that regard. Um, let them eat, uh, let them eat when, when they're hungry, have them eat. And when they're, when they've had enough, stop. The problem is when you are offering them processed foods, you know, for example, goldfish is a really common one. They might be able to eat a whole bag of goldfish. Bag of goldfish, yeah. yeah. And so if we're trying to get them in touch with their body, and but we're offering them these foods that are actually confusing their body. So we're sending this very mixed message of yes. eat, eat when you're hungry, you know, till you've had enough. And then these foods that we're choosing to eat are blocking our signals of having enough. Yeah. Um, so this is this is a really important question that I have then, um, because one of the things I noticed is um, I definitely started to buy some of the packaged things when he got to school, and I was noticing that. So I, I pretty much pack. I they I always thought it was really funny, especially last year. His teacher was like, "You pack him such great stuff," and I'm like. He loves his fruits and vegetables. Why not? You know, I'm going to pack that yeah. for him. But I noticed that at school, because he's in the before care and after care program, he was getting the packaged stuff there. And then he'd be more inclined to want those things. And then, you know, but what I find really funny is that when we go to birthday parties also, it's like the chips and it's the pizza. Mm -hmm. And yet my son still, he'll have one or two bites of the pizza. And he's like, so where's the fruit? <laughs> Where's the wow. where's yeah. the vegetable? Like yeah. and when we when when there is none of that, I'm like, oh man, darn it. So like I have to always consider that, you know, like, okay, um, should I have that as a snack? You know, like I, I probably need to bring some carrot sticks or some celery sticks for snacks, you know. Yeah. And 
But what I find is I, I find it so encouraging because he encourages me to also want to do that. But here's the thing. There are two things I notice happening in the school systems, right? For convenience sake, they'll do the package stuff. And especially in certain Western cultures, like the U.S., we have very rushed time frames for lunch mm-hmm. and snack time. Mm-hmm. And what I found out in 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 Japan, they have entire classes dedicated to the meals, dedicated to school. And so they don't just eat the food. They talk about the food. They make the food together. It's a cultural experience. And I was like, wow, that would be amazing. Not just a home ec class, but rather having lunch be an experience where the kids go in and they make the food all together and they talk about where the food comes from and they source the food and they, you know, I mean. That sounds uh, amazing. Right? Wouldn't that be? I mean, what's more, what's better than how to teach a child to have a healthy relationship with food than doing something like that? But so if your if your school can't do it, which they can't in the United States or they won't, uh, we can do that at home. We can do that exact same thing for our kids at home. And you know what? It starts super early. So here's here's a, a, a thing I want to tell parents. When my son was young, I mean, we're talking about when he was a baby. And I got that stroller cart cover to to cover that fir- that front part that he could sit in it after he got out of the, you know, when he was a, a toddler age where he was out of the car seat being brought into the shopping, you know, store, but still needed something to cushion him. I had that. And what I found really funny, well, I won't get into the device issue so much, but I thought it was really funny because they had um, a pouch, a clear pouch that faced the, the baby. And when I looked at my husband, I said, what's that for? And I was about to say, is that for like snacks or something? And he started to say, it's for your phone. And I'm like, no, that's never happening. So the things that he got in there were raisins and Cheerios, like, you know, like little whatever, you know, little things. And, uh, um, you know, one of the most engaging things with my son was I would go into the produce aisle and he would pick, like, you know, we would go through all the different stuff. And it was one of the first things I ever learned in um, in my early childhood education, you know, learning that one, the grocery store is one of the best places to cultivate language development because you can go to through the produce aisle and you can go apple orange. And now you're cultivating both labeling identification and you're cultivating colors. And there's so much to do there. So as he started to get older and he started walking on his own, we got him a little wagon and he would put the food in his wagon as well. And it was a whole adventure in the shopping. And so in so for parents who have young children, instead of having your child be a, a tag-along appendage for mm, you when you're food yeah. shopping, have them be a part of the process of shopping together. And what you're describing actually helps kids be willing to eat those foods because what you're describing is an exposure. Let, for example, you know, you go by the apples, oranges, then you get to the vegetable section. Now you're at broccoli, sweet potato, you know, green beans. Even if your child touches them, puts them in the bag, you go, oh, could you hold that for me? Or, oh, could you go get me, a, you know, if they're walking, 
So that counts as a food exposure. And we know for some of these vegetables that are not sweet, because our kids today, most American kids are, are so used to sweet things. And I think one reason why, you know, so kids refuse vegetables a lot is they're just not as sweet as regular as the other foods that they're being offered. So it's not so much that they don't like the taste. They say, I don't like the taste, but what they really mean is not really used to eating something that doesn't have this, doesn't have sugar in it. You know, I'm not used to eating something that's not sweet. So it can take 15 to 20 exposures is the word, you know, and get in and, going shopping, getting it, coming home, cooking, uh, chopping, anything like that. That's all considered exposures that will help your child eat those foods eventually. Yes. And because I know I'm going to get asked this, um, and because of the field I come from, I do understand about sensory concerns when it comes to textures, when it comes to, um, you know, the taste, when it comes to all of these different variations of sensory concerns. And so I've had parents who say my child is a picky eater or my child is too sensory, you know, they don't like X, Y, Z. So there's a couple of factors here. And one is the food exposures, right? You can also do that at home. Again, no pressure meals where you're exploring the food by all of your senses except taste first. What does Mm -hmm. it look like? Can you describe Mm -hmm. the color of it? Can you describe, is it round? Is it straight? Is it, you know, all of these things and just having them explore that with their fingers, just touching it for the sake of touching it, not to get it into their mouth yet. But to allow them to have exploratory time with that food, with all of their other senses, smelling it, like shaking, you know, shaking a pepper to to see, is there anything, you know, like, oh, there's seeds rattling around in there, you know, Um, all of these different things allow, uh, allow all of their senses to gain that exposure first before their taste exposure, before their, their uh, oral motor exposure. Mm -hmm. And that is really important. And then... Um, the other thing, oh, and I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting where I was going with this. Um, so, but the, you know, there's a really important component to this to, oh, to understanding that your taste textures change over time. Your, your oral motor texture, textural sensitivities change over time. In fact, your taste buds change over time, right? All of these things change over time. So what, if you tell me your 10 year old hates, I don't know, uh, avocado. Because they tried it when they were two and hated it, and you never tried to expose them to it again, you're doing them a disservice. And so again, no pressure exposure gives them the opportunity to be exposed to it at varying point and, and really bring it back in, bring it back in, bring it back in. Because where my son once didn't like mangoes, now loves mangoes. Where my son once didn't like, or he loved avocados as a as a little baby, now he hates avocados. Well, that doesn't mean I'm never going to expose him to avocados again, right? So we have to, and and also because we're very creative people when it comes to food, we can format them in different variations to allow them to have a different opportunity to be exposed. You know, so I think that those pieces are really important to to get behind. And the belief that your child is capable of eating lots of different kinds of foods. And uh, that that I see really limits some parents sometimes is that 
uh, like you said, you know, he's 10. Oh, he didn't like that when he was two. So he, he can't eat that. He doesn't like that. Okay. Well, let's re revisit, reassess. And then maybe he could like that. And, you know, and exactly. Like I just tell people to not give up on something. You don't have to force, you don't have to force them to ever eat anything. There's a wonderful, have you heard of the division of responsibility? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So this is a wonderful. Go ahead and tell everybody about that. Yeah. So this is actually, I have a free um, download on my website that yeah. is this division of responsibility. And it really lays, it's, it's the whole concept was developed by a nutritionist and a family therapist. Her name is Ellen Satter. Um, and I think that there's a caveat I want to say about this. I love the division of responsibility if we're using real food, like real whole unprocessed food. She made this up prior to the advent of all of this processed foods, I, I believe. It was in the 70s, I think. A long time ago, yeah. So the whole idea is that it divides the responsibilities of feeding into the parents' jobs and the child's jobs. And that way it's very clear. If me as a parent, I know that I'm doing my job, then I can feel good about that. And I don't get confused. And my job is to decide what is being offered, where it's being offered, and when it's being offered. Yeah. And my child's job is to decide if they're going to eat what's being offered and how much of that. And so as my job as the mom is what I buy and serve at home, what, what I pack for his lunch, what I pack for his snack, what I keep in the cupboard, you know, and then his job, I'm just saying his, cause I have a boy, but their job is to decide if they want to eat what's offered and how much. Yes. And I think this is wonderful because it, we can step back from fighting about two more bites. Yes. You need to eat that. No, if I feel good about doing my job, you know, then, then I can let my child do their job. Yes. And I want to point out something really important, but my son won't, isn't eating enough food. <sighs> um, so I think that one of the biggest fears of parents is that your children are going to be undernourished, right? Mm -hmm. If you have the food source in the home, I promise you, your child won't let themselves starve unless they have a specific disability. There are certain disabilities, right? We understand that. But um, usually your child is not the exception to the rule with those particular disabilities. And therefore, if you have the nutrition, the, the resources, the food in your home, they will operate under the, oh, I am actually really hungry. And so I'm going to finish all of this, you know, um, as opposed to, and if they're not hungry, they, they won't. Mm. And that's okay. And you can, yeah, the division of responsibility isn't saying you only have to serve, you know, the health, you know, the, the food. And if your child, if you know, your child doesn't like it, right. you know, that that's not, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a meal of five things that your child doesn't like. Right. Because then you're setting them up for, you know, 
for a hunger period of hunger. Right. Um, right. So, okay. So we know, we know they like this. Okay. We'll have this. Okay. Then a couple things that they're lukewarm about, but offer that. And, and so the, so then the question is parents often ask like, well, what about, for example, pasta? Kids love pasta, mm. right? So most kids, you know? Yeah. My um, son needs some of, yeah, that's true. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, most kids are, are big, uh, Pasta, carbs, breads, carbs. pasta, um, you know, potatoes, fries, things like that. And because, and the reason why is because that breaks down into sugar very, very quickly. It's yeah. essentially like eating sugar. Yeah. Um, so we, as parents need to understand, like, then you would be as the parent where you have some control over is, the volume or the the amount of pasta you actually make. So if if you because if we're going to do this division of responsibility thing, which has been shown to really help kids step into their autonomy and listen to their body, then we don't want to have a huge bowl of pasta that your child can because their job is to decide how much they're going to eat if then they could right. only eat pasta that night. Right. And maybe once in a while, fine, eat all you can eat pasta. But if that's what you're doing every night, you are going to have a child that's potentially only choosing that very easy food for them. Yeah. So my recommendation is to have a food, you know, they like, and hopefully it'll be somewhere in the protein, vegetable, fruit department. Yeah. Um, and then put in, you know, not necessarily a limited amount, but not endless amounts of things, other things. Like basically um, creating a portion, a, a maximized, yes. por the, like this is the maximum they can truthfully, that yes. that's really appropriate for them. So I will give them that, that potential maximum of that. And then they're going to eat either that much or less than, right? right. It's that kind of concept. So I wanted to um, touch on something that Oh man, I keep getting things popping into my brain and then popping right back out. But um, there's so much. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's such a yeah. It's such a necessary topic because it revolves around this idea. Ah, I know. It revolves around this the idea of autonomy, choices, internalizing the discipline, right? So mm -hmm. recognizing that your child will in, generally inherently figure it out if you're not pressuring them to. If you're not restrict too restrictive or too lax, right? If you if you provide just a, the right amount, then they'll find their own personalized restrictions and personalized that they will personalize the internalized discipline of how much they're willing to eat and operate within. The only thing I want to add, I I agree with that, and I think we just need to really understand the foods supply, the food choice choices we are yes. living in. Yes. You know, yes. most kids are eating 70% highly processed food. An American child's diet is an average of about 70% of highly processed foods. Mm -hmm. Our ancient human body evolved over the millennia. We didn't evolve to eat these foods. These foods mm -hmm. have been created in the past 60, 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah. It's a failing experiment. We're seeing that now with the poor health that our 
that the generation 60s, 70s, 80-year-olds people are having, frankly, that our kids are having. We yeah. are seeing disease at so much younger ages than we ever did before. Yes, And yes. It's, it's not our genes that have changed in the past one generation. It's our food. Right. And so we do want our kids to have autonomy. We do want them to, to choose their food and enjoy it and tie it into their body and how they feel. And part of that is us adults, us parents, number one, becoming educated to this ourselves and passing it on to our kids, passing on that education. So they understand, oh, when I, when I get a, when I eat Doritos, I want to keep eating Doritos, yeah. <laughs> you yes. know, because my ancient human body, a hundred years ago, two hundred, a thousand years ago, we weren't ever designed to ever eat a Dorito. Right. Our body doesn't right. know what to do with all of that, you know. Yes, yes, that's and true. so that I think is just something that's not common knowledge. It's not taught in medical school. I know, you know, until about five years ago when I got super interested in this. Number one for my own health, but also for my son's health. Yeah. And then I really realized, like, oh my gosh, we are selling these foods. People yeah. are assuming they're safe, but just because something yeah. is being sold doesn't actually mean it's safe. Agreed. Agreed. A thousand percent. Yeah. We know that of alcohol, and we know that of yeah, prescription drugs, and we know. Yeah. You know, we just, we, unfortunately, humans have a tendency to learn the massive level of repercussions, yes. the, the broader yeah. scope of repercussions after the cat's yeah. already out the so bag, you know? Years from now, those people are going to be like, oh, why would I eat a Dorito? You know, it's right. really like, why would I smoke a cigarette? Why would I, you right. know, you know, but so for our kids, what can we do until that becomes common yes. knowledge the only thing, the, the companies aren't going to do it. They're making too much money. The government is not going to do it because they're tied into the money too. And so if we're waiting for this to, someone to help us, right. <laughs> someone to stop selling Coca-Cola or Gatorade, that's not going to happen. So the only thing parents can do is become educated themselves and then make the choices for their own family yeah. And I also like talking about it, you know, we talk about safety for our kids all the time and setting boundaries for them yeah. and letting them, you know, have some wiggle room to explore those boundaries yeah. without a major, you know, hopefully without a major accident or something. Right. You know? and, and they'll learn the consequences yes. of, of what their actions are going to bring. But sometimes we have to get an understanding that children live in a lot of, especially young children live in the immediacy. Mm -hmm. They live in the present moment. So understanding the down the line repercussions and consequences is a harder concept for them really? to evolve to, right? But this is where our experience come and knowledge comes into play and practice here because we understand it. But we need to make that transparent with our children. Yes. And if we're not, then we're holding the knowledge and the key to what they should know. Yeah. So they can see the down the line repercussions and, and consequences. And I want to touch on something really important here. This is in language specification when it comes to food choices. 
One of the things that I see and that I practice with people all the time is changing your language around how you communicate the food to your children. Like I said earlier, you know, instead of threatening them or telling them, well, you know, you'll get your dessert once you finish your main meal. Instead of doing things where um, when you're asking your child, what do you want to eat? They get overwhelmed oftentimes, especially the younger ones, with a question like that. So a lot of parents figure, okay, I, I just, I'll just take that choice out of their hands and I will just make them the meal and then they're going to have to eat what I present to them. There's a place in the middle here, and that is offering them choices of, okay, which would you like to eat tonight? You know, um, this, this, or this. And giving them three options when they're young, you know, giving them two options when they're really young, giving them three options. And then, and again, right, we can't use the same structure for our four-year-old that we use for our 10-year-old. It changes with time, right? Becomes a little bit more open to ownership and accountability and, um, and autonomy as they get older. But when they're younger, we can start with that, you know, okay, I've got these four options for you. Um, you know, which one of these would you like to eat? then they're not so overwhelmed and you're giving them the opportunity to make those choices, which is a part of uh, accountability, but more importantly, autonomy. And they're starting to see that same option when they go into food shopping for themselves and so on and so forth. And they won't become so overwhelmed by all the options. Because remember, if you're taking away any options, when they do eventually get the access to all options, they'll be stuck. They won't know how to make those choices for themselves. So by giving them the opportunity to make those choices, we give them the opportunity also to learn how to navigate choice making instead of being completely shut down by the wealth of choices that they have in front of them. You know, it becomes a little bit more manageable when it comes to that. What are your thoughts on that? Sure. Um, you know, as a, as busy parents, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure at five o'clock at night, I'm going to be able to ask my son, do you want? <laughs> but you know, meal planning, this is to me, my mind went to meal planning, like at the beginning of the week, right? like, right. okay, let's okay. look at our week. Oh, okay. You have basketball practice or whatever, you know, what should we eat? And if they do have input, great follow up on that. Yes. Um, but I hear, I hear what you're saying and what, you know, the whole idea is, you know, we're ushering our kids, we're helping them learn the skill set of making a choice mm -hmm. and, and, and living with the consequences of that choices, good or bad. So the word consequences tends to have a negative, you know, emotion or negative, but lit, you know, Oh, I chose, you know, say whatever I chose, you know, grilled chicken salad for dinner. The consequence of that is, oh, I feel great. Or I feel, you know, uh, I chose whatever. And, oh, I don't feel that good anymore. You know, so that's, I think what you're talking about is too, is helping kids um, understand that. And, and this is a skill. You actually have to go over this with your child. Like, okay, yes. you decided you know, for example, I do sometimes do this with my son with his, he has very limited homework, but you know, last week he, he was supposed to do map something about a map and he's like, I'm, I, I'm not going to do it. I, I'm not going to, I don't want to do it. I'm, you know, he wanted to do something else. And I said, okay, well, okay, let's just take a pause. 
you know, okay, it's your choice. I'm not going to force you to do um, your homework. What do you think could happen if you don't do your homework? Exactly. Oh, oh yeah. Mr. Wheeler, he'll get mad, you know, or I'll, you know, get a bad grade or, oh, you know, and so he, he went, we, but I had to help him, you know, because his brain, and this is something that popped into my mind a little while ago that I wanted to mention is when we're talking about our future selves, mm-hmm. you know, we are able to do that as adults yes. because of our prefrontal cortex. Exactly. Because this part of our brain is mature. Exactly. And kids and teens, it's not mature until you're 25 years old, mid 20s. Yeah. And even now we understand that we can change certain neural pathways in our adulthood, but that's a whole different conversation. But yeah, yeah. but, but yes, so, it's yeah, the critical so thinking doing skills. Doing something right now today that's less than pleasurable or less than what you want to do in the immediate, it's not going to give you immediate satisfaction. Yes. It's easier for an adult to make that choice because we can actually visualize our future self. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, 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 know, kids, can, and kids have such yeah. a hard time with that. So like I was saying before, they live in the immediacy of the circumstances. It's one of the reasons why when you ask a a young child what they did at school that day, they'll say, I don't know. And parents get so frustrated by that. And I'm like, yeah, understand when you ask them that they just had a a school day of experiences. And so if you can't be a little bit more directive, you're not going to get an answer. So what I like to ask my son is what surprised you today? What was unusual? Was there anything unusual that happened today? More specific, you know, more, yeah. And, um, and it really gives them an opportunity to delve in a little bit deeper, but when it comes, you're absolutely right. You have to navigate with them what account consequences will look like so they can take better accountability for their choices. Yeah. And this is part of why kids, our current approach to helping kids make lifestyle choices or changes when we're just addressing the child. Okay. The child comes to my office. Okay. Let's talk about food choices. Okay. The, let's talk about you making these food choices. Okay. Let's talk about exercise. Let's talk about you getting this much movement and let, you know, if I'm doing this with a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old, even younger, you know, <laughs> I just know that that is, you know, they, they want to do everything that we're talking about, but their brains, number one, just can't handle that information in a way that's useful to them. Right. They can absorb information very well, but they need to figure out the best ways to process it with. But like, if I'm saying, you know, we, you really, we know that drinking soda uh, or pop or whatever you call it in your part of the country we know that that's bad for you and that's really unhealthy. And that's one of the number one things that, you know, okay, little 10 year old kid, you should stop drinking anything with sugar in it, you know, but if he has that at home, if that's an option for him, if that's in the refrigerator or in the whatever, you know, we can't, you know, sometimes parents come in and they say, well, you know, I told him he shouldn't drink that, but he did anyways. But if and you have so, it in your house, of well, yes. So I, but what I think that so there's a knowledge gap there for me. The parent doesn't understand that the child's brain can't yes. think about their future in that way. All yes, they're yes. thinking about is like, you know, I know that tastes good. I like the feeling. 
that I get from that sugar. And oh, I'm just going to drink that sugar, you know? Right, right. So, so yeah, I, I love everywhere you've gone. And I and I realize we've gone over time, but um, it's been a wealth of information and knowledge today. And I think that there's so many takeaways. And one thing I want to note to parents, because this is so important, is not to get overwhelmed by this. Make one deliberate choice when it comes to things like this. If you don't want your children drinking soda and you know they're having a hard time with that and you understand the consequences of of that for them, maybe eliminate soda out of your diet as well, right? It Just because you're a dabbler in soda doesn't mean it can't, right? Just, be, just because you're a dabbler in soda doesn't mean that it, it, it's going to harm you to cut soda out of bringing it into your house. We don't have soda in our house. It will help you. It, you know, I agree. And I agree. If there's two things I could say to parents, one would be get the education, find out the actual uh, facts about the foods that we're choose that you're choosing to eat. And because they are negative, a lot of these highly processed foods are negatively affecting not only kids' weight and their physical health, but also our mental, their mental health. We have skyrocketing uh, levels of anxiety and depression in kids. And I believe it's tied in large part to our food supply because the neurochemicals and neurotransmitters, the hormones that our body is generating, they're coming from our food. So for parents, get the education about how highly processed foods are harming our kids, especially foods with added sugars. Um, And we're not talking fruit. We're not talking anything healthy that's grow. You know, we're talking highly processed foods. Um, And then the second part is exactly what you just said is you go first. You be the role model as the parent because your kids are always watching you. They may not be you know, doing exactly what you're telling them to do, but they're watching what you're doing. So they are noticing when you're drinking soda, they are noticing when you're whatever, you're not going to bed, how much you're using your phone, all of those things. So be the role model, be the guide. Um, Well, first of all, your own health is just going to exponentially improve and you're going to feel so much better. I can't can honestly tell you that was my journey. Yeah. I left my son out of my health journey. I didn't even think he needed to be part of it, honestly, a long time ago. Yeah. But then I made these changes for myself. I felt so much better. I didn't even know how bad I was feeling before. And then I made some changes and I just felt incredible. And then I said like, oh my goodness, I want Theo to have yeah. these same He doesn't realize, he doesn't know anything either. He doesn't realize how bad he's feeling because he's just, that's how he is, you know? So he could feel this much better if we eliminated, you know, some of these processed foods from our, from our diet and got good sleep and movement, all the things. So it, it, and it's all about health and focusing on our kids' health. And like you talked about, you know, you want your, this series of your podcast to be about legacies. And what parents can do. And the legacy of health is just, it's, it's an invaluable gift. It's a priceless gift, you know, that we have this time with our kids to impart that, uh, that kind of self-concept that for a child, I am a healthy person. I do live a healthy lifestyle and all the things that that entails. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sheila. You've been a wealth and a font of information. And I, I believe so much, so much that people will get out, out of it. And, you know, and if they're looking for you, everybody should know I'm going to drop all of Sheila's uh, social media links and all of those things in the episode promos and in the episode itself. So you'll be able to reach out to her uh, directly for any anything that you need. And on that note, again, Sheila, thank you. And on that note, happy parenting people. And may the evolution of your parenting skills be ever in your favor. Thank you.